Fredology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Fraudology Podcast, where every week we will dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of a veteran fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I've focused my life and career on online fraud prevention for over 15 years, working with hundreds of the most well-known e-commerce companies to help them prevent payment fraud and abuse. favorite things about having the Fraudology podcast is that I get to interview awesome fraud fighters. And today is no exception. I have with me Shannon Slaughter, and she is the enterprise fraud manager at Merit Trust Credit Union. And really, honestly, I figured out we were kindred spirits pretty quickly on LinkedIn because we both are passionate about fraud education and scam education. And so I just had to have her on the podcast and I'm grateful for her time. Thanks so much for being here, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now and I'll do my best not to fangirl. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm just really excited to share information. So I'm excited um, for the opportunity. Absolutely. No, I love when I see other people who have a similar passion as I do. I mean, I guess we all do as humans, but I think there's a lot of different ways in fraud you can go. And a lot of us feel more comfortable behind the computer, myself included. But when you have that passion to share information with people, you kind of have to get over that. And Mm -hmm. I know that's what you've been doing as well. And I just love helping you on that journey and also not being the only voice. That's kind of fun too. So I wanted to kind of dive in and let people learn a little bit about you. How did you get started in fraud? So I know we talked about this a little bit. I fell into it just like you did. I worked in various operational roles at my previous employer. It was a local bank. And my job actually was eliminated by Check 21. I don't know if you know what that is, but we used to sort and send the paper checks off to the various financial institutions they were drawn on. Now we do that via image file. So it's a much quicker process. A shorter turnaround time for check. But with that advance in technology, my job went away. And so I stuck around there kind of doing various things. And then my senior manager approached me one day and said, hey, we've got an opening in the fraud department. I think you would be good at this. And I said, okay, let's try it. And that was when I was bit by the bug that you talk about so often. It really is. It's it's quite the bug. And those of us that have been bit, we know exactly what that mm-hmm. is. <laughs> <Lifer>. <laughs> right. So what are you responsible for in your current role? So I am over our check and deposit fraud department and I train any new employees. And I also am responsible for development of my employees. I actually have one right now. Her name is Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Had to shout out. She's great. And she is relatively new. So 
Now I've really enjoyed kind of helping her learn. And that's what I do. I love to educate and I love to spread awareness. I'm also in charge of training new hires. So I have put together a training program for our our frontline staff. And so once in a while, I get to do that. And those are my favorite days. And then also when things go back to normal, I hope to be able to do more member education events. So yeah, that's what I do. I think that that was the very first post that I saw of yours that I commented on when you said that you got to spend the day training your frontline staff. And I'm such a proponent on that because they are the frontline and they're either going to be your weakest link or your strongest asset, whether you're at a bank or you're an e-commerce company or anywhere else in between. Like I've found that to be extremely effective. So, you know, birds of a feather and all that, but I really agree with you. And I can also relate to just how fulfilling it is when people get excited or they learn from you and then you get to see them grow. It's one of the best feelings in the world. Yes. So what about your interactions with consumers? So when are you talking to consumers or, or members of your organization? So really every day, especially now during COVID, you know, we're seeing more fraud than we ever have before. I can remember a point in time in my career where I would talk to one or two scam victims a week. Now it is literally an everyday thing and several times a day. And that's me and my coworker. So yeah, that's just kind of where we're at now. So I do have that opportunity to talk to people, but I also take that opportunity to educate them as well. Anytime I get that chance. Which is so smart because a lot of consumers, once they have given in to a scam, they get put on a special list of some sort. I don't know exactly how that works on that side, but I do know that once you give in, you get put on a sucker list or, you know, it gets spread oh, around. Yeah. And so there's really Guaranteed. a, yeah. Do you see that as well? That people who have gotten hit once or who have given in once may fall for it again? So yeah, that does happen. But my main goal is to kind of give them that little mini education while I have them on the phone or while they're at the branch talking to a member consultant. I do want to take that opportunity to give them the tools and the education they need and just warn them in general. Hey, if you've sent money to these guys, you're going on the hot, hot, hot list. And it's not if, but when you will be targeted again. And these are the things that you need to know to protect yourself and and to keep that from happening. So smart. And what a gift, because I know most people, when they call their bank and they've been defrauded, it's like, eh, you're on your own. So what a gift for your members and for your credit union that you're taking the time to do that and listening to, I'm sure, a lot of sob stories and, and a lot of heartbreak. And you're doing that for the betterment of them. So that's a really big service. Yeah, it is something that I would like to see more of across the industry. It does take time to sit and have those conversations with people, especially if they're emotional, especially if they're upset, if they've lost money. For a lot of folks, their default mode is to get defensive, want it to be someone else's fault. So again, we have to have those tough conversations that say something to the effect of, I'm really sorry this happened to you, but there's nothing really that we can do to get your funds back. That's a tough conversation to have with people and it's tough for them to hear. Because with credit card fraud, a lot of times, I mean, almost always the consumer can issue a charge back, right? And get their money back. But 
that's the challenge with banking fraud, whether it's bad checks or other scams where there really is no recourse for consumers, right? Yeah, for the most part, that's true. Once they have done the scammers bidding in some way, shape or form, whether it's go and make a purchase of gift cards and sending codes to them or allowing access to their device so that mobile deposits or overcrediting that we'll talk about later on can happen. If they've given that access or they've done something to perpetuate whatever is going on, that's when they lose the ability to get their funds back most of the time. Oh, and I would imagine with COVID, it's even harder. I mean, you mentioned that you're seeing more members than ever having scams. And I can imagine for bigger banks, it's even crazier. Bigger banks or credit unions. What are some of the biggest scams that you're seeing right now that you want to make sure the listeners of Fraudology here as well as tell their friends, parents, family, everyone? Because <laughs> honestly, I have to say, sorry, I asked a question then I started talking, but I, I've i been shocked, like with, or not shocked, but surprised because we're on different sides of the fence, but it's all fraud and scams. But I think it'd be interesting for fraudology listeners to kind of hear what you experience on that side, because it is all related. It's just sometimes we're siloed. Yeah, that's true. So what I'm seeing the most of right now, we're seeing some Amazon fraud department, like fake fraud department calls. And I'm sure it can be other merchants. But for the most part, what I'm hearing right now is someone is calling claiming to be from the fraud department with Amazon, which is nine times out of 10. That's probably going to be a true customer of Amazon because who doesn't have an Amazon account? Which is exactly where they'd call. Fishing a barrel for these guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they'll call and they'll say, hey, you've got some fraudulent charges on your Amazon account. Let's get you credited back. So they will have them download an app that will allow them access to the device that they're using. And then they'll request that they log into their online banking where they will fake a refund and they'll go, oops, we overcredited you. So now you need to buy gift cards and send us codes, or you need to send us a cash app transaction or Bitcoin, or sometimes it's even, you know, go withdraw cash and send it in an envelope somewhere. I mean, it happens. So that is one of the most concerning things I'm seeing right now. And then also, we're seeing an issue with people calling fake customer service lines. So someone is doing an online search. They're trying to get in touch with customer service. I'm seeing this with Apple and Cash App right now. They'll do a Google search or use some other search engine. And the first search engine results that pop up are actually ads placed by scammers. and They don't realize it. They call that number. And then something very similar happens to the fake fraud department call where they're asked to download something and then they're given access to the online banking and faking over credit payments. I mean, it's pretty bad. And I see people from all walks of life falling for this. It's not just elderly people. That seems to be the main assumption. It's everyone. Everyone is vulnerable to this scam. Well, it drives me crazy. It like makes me so mad that they call representing a fraud department, right? Just because like I've made those calls before for previous employers. I mean, 10 years yeah. ago, but still, and it was already a hurdle to go through, especially because back then people were like, why does that company have a fraud? What? Like, you know, they didn't trust it, but 
now they do. Right. And, you know, it's all about trust and safety these days. And if consumers feel safe and trust, oh, I know Amazon. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to trust that you are who you say you are. And I think that's one of the biggest yeah. problems we have online and over the phone is, you know, that trust part without verifying. But yeah. I guess I'm curious about when they have them download the app, what's the point of that if they're going to over refund them and then get money back? Is it to gain access to their Amazon account and get their username and password? Is it to have a keylogger for all their other apps? And if you don't, oh mind. yeah, I should have explained this earlier. That's okay. What they're actually doing is they are transferring money from one account to another. So they're putting up some kind of like a fake screen that it the ruse is like, this is your refund and oh, we sent you too much. What they're really doing is they're transferring money from the savings to the checking account from the credit card, from a U-lock or a HELOC or something like that. And they're putting it in a checking account and they're even labeling it as a refund. So if you look at the online banking transactions, it says, quote, refund on it. And then the victim doesn't have any idea. They just, they're so worked up in this. Um, because they somebody worked stole up their into money. A tizzy, yeah. Is what happens. Yeah. And they go, one of two things happens. They'll either say, oh my gosh, if you don't send me these funds back, I'm going to lose my job. I made this huge mistake and I'm going to lose my job if you don't send me these funds or they'll get nasty with them and they'll threaten them and say, that's my company's money. If you don't send that back, I'm going to send the authorities after you. And it works. It works. It's really unfortunate. And they'll keep them on the line too. They'll keep them on the line. And that's another thing I tell people is, you know, a good rep, a reputable rep is not going to try to keep you on the line. They're going to let you hang up and call back if you need to or whatever. But they'll keep them on the line for the duration of the whole process, buying the gift cards or sending the cash shop or whatever. They keep them on the line until they get that money. Because they don't want to lose them. But I would Mm -hmm. say, you know, especially... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, to your point, like yep. a reputable rep, usually they're, um, I was going to say they're KPIs, but that's not it. It's more like their performance metrics are how quickly they have a phone call. So you're absolutely right. They're not going to stay on the phone and they're not going to walk them through. I mean, I think some of the tips, I think you and I have some of the same tips as far as not offering, but saying you're going to call them back. I always, you know, even mm-hmm. if it's for a doctor's office that I know that I probably owe a copay for or something, I'll just say, hey, I have a personal policy of not providing my credit card or any of my personal information to inbound calls. I'll call you back right. and I always call them at the office phone number. But in the moment when you're scared and think, oh my gosh, somebody stole my money and I'm going to get it back. Oh shoot. No, they gave me too much money. Okay. I trust them. Mm-hmm. I trust Amazon. They're not going to screw me over. It's not Amazon. That's why I'm okay saying the company yeah. name because it's not them, but <laughs> they're playing off that fear. Yeah. There's definitely psychological element to it for sure. And these people, I mean, they do have very high emotional intelligence. That skill is something that they all have when they're calling that victim. That's something that I'll give them. They usually know within a few minutes of that phone call, how they can work that person. Do I go the, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job route. Or do I go the, I'm going to threaten you within an inch of your life route? Because I've noticed that depending on who it is in just the conversations that I've had with the victim, I understand just by Mm. talking to them for a few minutes, why they went one route or the other, because they're reading them. Yes. Being empathetic and being intuitive is a superpower. I think it's a superpower Mm -hmm. you and I both share, but unfortunately when used the opposite way, it can 
really wreak a lot of havoc. So it sounds like the app is actually like helping them log into their online banking. And then they're basically making a transfer on behalf of the consumer. Mm -hmm. So it's basically their own money, but they're making it look like it's a refund. Then they say, oh my gosh, like I was only supposed to refund you $200 and I refunded you 2000 or something like that, whatever. Yeah, they add a zero. I'm just realizing mm-hmm. that by logging into their online banking, they also know exactly how much they have. So they know how much they can. Yep. You got it. And I have seen these types of scams. I've seen tens of thousands of dollars over the course of several days. They'll get victims in a loot sometimes where they say, oops, we screwed up again. Oops, we screwed up again. And I mean, really, it can snowball out of control very quickly. And at the end of all of that, you have someone who more than likely is at a point in their life where it's harder for them to replace that much money. And that's the most heartbreaking thing about it is there's no way to get it back. It may be hard for them to even find employment. I mean, I see this happen to retirees. It's very unfortunate. I can't even imagine. I feel like... You being on the front lines and having those phone calls, like you almost need to get like your master's in psychology or something like that, like (laughs) earned, you know, (laughs) it's probably like therapy. It does does seem like that sometimes. And I'm willing to take the time to talk to folks. And again, so is my coworker. I mean, that's something that I feel very passionately about and I have tried to instill in her and I would for any future employees is that that is really important to not just rush through the call and go, oh, sorry, you're out the money. It's too bad for you. Even though you can't do anything to get those funds back, just being compassionate and also giving them a bit of education to keep them from falling victim to it again. It's so important and it really can make a difference. Yeah, I really applaud that. There were a lot of times back then that I wish I would have had the time to do that. Unfortunately, credit card fraud happens so much online that an analyst can see it and they really just have to stop the transaction and move on. They can't even call the cardholder and say, hey, your credit card was stolen. You have to move through it so fast. But there are times sometimes where you need to call and verify because they're using their address Mm -hmm. or whatever else. And it's like, did you make this order? So I have that kind of experience and definitely a lot of people, at least with credit card fraud, they want to know who did it and how did they do it? And it's like, I have no clue that you could make up a lot of stuff, but (laughs) you're never going to know. So like, let's just move on and focus on, you need to call your bank to cancel your credit card. Like this whole time where you're wondering Mm -hmm. doing it, they're still charging your card. So go do that first. So (laughs) different conversations, but similar for sure. So you had mentioned the gift card one, and I know that one really impacts a lot of retailers, you know, Mm -hmm. even retailers that have a lot of omni-channel retailers. So retailers that have physical locations as well as online. And I field a lot of questions about that. I think I've mentioned it on a previous podcast where there's one retailer that I wouldn't have usually imagined that they would have been taken for this, but you know, an older woman purchased over $140-$500 gift cards to supposedly pay back the IRS, you know, so our internal revenue yeah. service here in the US. But when you're in that point, when you think you owe a lot of money, you're not always thinking rationally as far as like, wait a second, right. what is the federal government going to do with these cards to, you know, a sporting goods store or a department store or a cosmetic store? But they're not thinking about it. So I'd be interested to kind of hear from your perspective what the victims are saying about that, like how they fall for it and and just kind of what you're seeing on that front. Because that is a method that's been around for probably a year and a half, two years, and I don't think it's going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. It's definitely not going anywhere. And again, it's kind of that same emotional intelligence that they use 
mm-hmm. when they have that victim on the line. So from the experiences that I've had and the conversations that I've had, what they're being told is there's a problem, you're not paying your taxes, or sometimes it's IRS, sometimes it's Social Security Administration calling, but in some way, shape, or form, their identity has been used in some kind of crime, and they're told that all of their accounts are going to be frozen. And the reason why they have them move the money to gift card codes is for, quote, safekeeping of their funds. And that is what they're being told. So that's what they're doing is buying those gift cards and sending them the codes. And they're saying, you will keep these for safekeeping until you get this all sorted out. And again, they'll kind of get nasty with them if they feel like that will work. But they're worked up in this tizzy again, right? Like they're worked up a different part of the brain, right? That's like being affected when things like that are going on and they're highly suggestible in that state. Wow. Yeah. I actually didn't know that part as far as like holding the funds for safekeeping. So that's just to kind of understand what's making the consumer doing that. Do you know if they're coaching them to purchase the gift cards online or to go into a grocery store that has a kiosk or do they prefer them to go directly to that store or does it really vary? So most of the time, what I'm seeing anyways, they're going in and they're physically buying those cards and then sending those card codes directly from the retailer. Uh, Sometimes there's a variation where they're told to just go into a branch and withdraw cash and mail the cash in a box too. So there's also that side of it as well. But if there's cards involved, it's almost exclusively, in my experience, the physical card. That's what it sounds like the merchants I've been talking to, too. You know, there's always variations of scams. So obviously there could be some of these people that are saying go to a grocery store. I would actually think a grocery store would be better for them just because a grocery store clerk isn't going to be as protective over a brand gift card than you would hope a store associate would if it's their brand. But I'm sure if when merchants start to do more education of their frontline on that topic, which is something I have strongly recommended many, many times, I've heard all of the objections, which is frustrating to me sometimes, but I get it. I know I'm focused on this small part of business revenue and that they have to look at the whole thing. But yeah, so it's a struggle. Like, bet your frontline would really enjoy it. And I've seen that work for other companies, but I would imagine if they would train there, then they'd probably move on to a grocery store. And I know sometimes it happens at the grocery store, but like it mostly happens. I've heard very similar. So I would say between the two of us, we can probably safely say that that's the majority, at least right now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm always impressed, though, when I talk to a victim or someone who has tried to buy the gift cards and has said, I tried to get $6,000 worth of them and they only let me do 500. So I know that that is becoming more common if they're buying them in person, that physical card. There are some businesses who are now starting to alert their employees about that. You know, obviously, the problem with that is how highly engaged is that specific employee at that moment when that transaction is happening. But I'm hopeful (laughs) with some of the stories that I've heard from the victims that I've talked to. So we're getting there little by little, I think. It's important to cling (laughs) to that hope because it it would be so easy to faith in humanity when you're really working on the front lines like you are and like I have. And it's important to even yeah. have a sliver of hope to think, okay, we're chipping away at it. Even if, you know, we're using a Dixie cup to bail out the boat, at least we're bailing out the boat, right? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I always have very oh. random analogies. I feel like you know that already. <laughs> That's what it feels like, though. That's perfect. That's a perfect I've, analogy. I have used that before <laughs> in relation to Fred. <laughs> Obviously, that was like what right it feels like. my brain. Uh huh. <laughs> so, are there any other big scams that you're seeing? I mean, obviously, these are huge ones, but any other ones that you are seeing, especially around COVID or in general? Yeah. So in general, I know that there has been a lot of buzz about the unemployment fraud that has been going on, PPP funds that are being diverted by scammers. We are seeing a ton of money mule activity and so are other financial institutions. I've got, you know, buddies who do the same thing that I do at other organizations and we're all kind of dealing with the same stuff. It's almost exclusively romance scam related. They're meeting people online and they're giving them their account information, sometimes even their online banking information. So the scammer will log in and see when those funds hit the account and then instruct the mule to go and take those funds out, send them somewhere. So we are seeing a lot, a lot of that still to this day. It's still coming. Even without the extra $600 from the CARES Act in the US, you're still Mm -hmm. seeing it. Yeah. You know, I've worked with Estate and spoken with several others. And so I do know Mm -hmm. that that's still happening, but I think some of them kind of have their guard down thinking like, oh, the worst is over. No, I don't think that's the truth. I feel like it comes in waves. You know this. Yeah. It it comes in waves. So we have several states yet to go. I know that we're at over the halfway point for all the states. And I know Kansas finally got hit. I think I heard that the first couple weeks of July, I want to say around 30% of the unemployment claim attempts for state of Kansas were fraud or flagged as fraud. And that kind of seems to be the going rate Mm -hmm. is about a third of whatever is going on. No, and it has ripple effects to the people who are waiting for unemployment and who can't get it because Mm -hmm. everything has to be. That is why I started, you know, working with the state that I did because I knew that that was happening, but it's painful. So as far as the, I didn't mean to switch it that fast, but as far as the mules, because it's mostly romance scams, they're not in on it, right? They just think that they met a guy or met a woman and they're just doing them a favor? Are they told like, hey, I... I mean, I would imagine if I'm dating someone online and they say, hey, I don't have a bank account. Can you accept this? Like, uh, I don't know if we want to go any further, but like, why would they ask them to deposit in their account or what's the reason they're giving them? I mean, obviously we know the real reason. Yeah. So it varies. What I hear a lot is that there's some kind of inheritance involved and that the money needs to come to the money mule, who is the sweetheart in order to then send those funds to a broker or, I mean, it's so many different scenarios, but usually it has something to do with some kind of inheritance that the scammer is is supposed to receive. I've also seen it be like a business deal where they think that they're buying into some kind of business or they're investing in something. It Yeah. But don't they realize the money is coming from an unemployment department? Like, is that... They don't, they don't, they don't even check it. And when I tell them, Hey, you just got a deposit from Washington state unemployment to someone who isn't on this account. They're floored. They have no idea that's what's going on. I have yet to talk to someone that I think has something to do with the funds that are coming in. They're just the victim. And I would imagine, I mean, I'm lucky and I know you are too, not to be single during COVID, but 
I would imagine that there's a lot of people, you know, who want companionship and and want someone to talk to and, you know, whether it's online or over the phone. So I, I can see why that, that works really well. And the fact that they trust them enough to give them their online banking, it just, all of it makes me so sad, but yeah, I've been saying, yeah, well, my daughter's in high school and I think it was like her freshman year, they had to take like a financial course or something about budgeting and, and all this. And I absolutely loved it. But I offered to the teacher, I said, you know, I really think it's important for these kids growing up to understand scams, especially online. And, you know, their whole life is online and they think that everyone is who they say they are. And he didn't have time on the syllabus. But I mean, I still, wow. I know, oh, I don't think such she- a huge mistake. Oh my gosh. And I'm so glad that you bring that up because I feel like it is time to start having that talk on a regular basis with your kids, Mm -hmm. with your loved ones, with anyone who would be vulnerable to it. Because you're right, especially, you know, your daughter, her whole life, she's had access to Facebook. I mean, it's a societal norm. And I feel like scams and fraud are becoming a societal norm. And I feel like I just can't let that happen. And the only way, and I know you feel the same way. I do. And the only way to stop that really is to educate. And I 100% agree that should be part of the financial education. Yeah. Whether it's with, you know, kids or whether it's every time somebody opens a new bank account and they get tutorial, they have to like watch a 10 minute thing online, whatever it is. Like, I don't know. I actually, we had a phone call yesterday just to kind of prep for this and also to get to know each other. And last night I was thinking about all different ways that we could combine our forces. And then I was like, I kind of already have a full plate. So maybe not something super major, but I agree. And it's interesting to me how many people ask me like, what should I do to stay safe? And then when I tell them like my top three tips, it's almost like they're like, eh, that's too much of a hassle. And I'm like, are you, are you going to the doctor and telling him you want to lose weight? But then when he says you need to diet and exercise, you're like, eh, I want to do that. Too much work. It's too much work. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, on that note, what are the tips and what is the education that you provide to victims as well as just people who haven't been victimized yet for the prevention piece? So my golden rule that I always go back to is trust your instincts. They're always going to tell you if something is off. So if something sounds too good to be true or your gut is telling you something's off, it's probably a scam. It's more than likely a scam and you should definitely listen to that. I would absolutely agree with you. When you're talking to people, do they acknowledge sometimes that they had that feeling or I would imagine it varies. Some people don't want to admit it, but... Right. In those follow-up conversations, those post-mortem conversations, if you will, one of the things that I like to ask victims is, didn't it seem kind of strange to you that they wanted your online banking information to do this? Or didn't it seem strange to you that they wanted you to send gift card codes? And almost exclusively, they're like, yeah, it did seem kind of strange, but dot, dot, dot. And really, that dot, dot, dot is they're in a desperate situation. They're desperate for money. They're desperate for love. They're desperate for a job. And the con artists who are doing these scams know exactly how to work them. I know almost everyone who's been in fraud prevention at one point or another has said if they just combine their energy and put it towards, you know, finding a cure for cancer or COVID or world peace, like it'd be in such a better place. 
I guess just going back a little bit to like the unemployment scams, I was under the impression that the mules were in on it. So it's interesting to me to know that at least what, from what you're Almost seeing. Almost never. Wow. Yeah. I've never had that be the case. They're floored. They're usually floored um, and they usually cry because they're scared that they have been involved in illegal activity. And I'm very clear with them about that too, not to scare them, but just to let them know, hey, you've received fraudulent funds either from a state government or the federal government. There very likely will be an investigation at some point and you could be questioned about this. And that's why it's so important to me to share this information. I want to protect people from being put in that position in the first place because most of the time, It's the most vulnerable population of people who are falling for this. So it's traumatizing for them to think, oh my gosh, I just broke the law. Or it's traumatizing for them to be investigated by some level of law enforcement. But that is something that could happen, especially in the cases where it's tens of thousands of dollars involved. And a lot of the time with this fraud, whether it's PPP or unemployment, at the beginning of it especially, I was seeing very large sums of money. Wow. And so they're not getting their own money stolen, but the fraudsters are using their accounts to receive the funds because it's a legitimate bank account. And they tried to open a lot of new accounts for unemployment, but that's a lot harder to do. So they're using Mm -hmm. existing. Yeah. Ah, Well, as far as tips and stuff, I always say the three general ones are obviously having unique passwords for every account, which I know not all consumers do. And quite frankly, I don't even know if I do because there's probably a few older accounts that I've had that I don't even remember I have that have the same password. But, you know, all the ones I've had for the last several years since, you know, yeah, several years because I knew about account takeover before <laughs> most people, you know, I did that as well as freezing your credit report because, that makes it so they can't open up accounts in your name. Great advice. Yeah. As well as just keeping an eye on your bank accounts, right? And not falling for things. But it's tricky because not everyone thinks of those things, right? And not everyone hears those tips. And so they're very trusting or they don't know what they don't know. And I I don't fault them for that. But at the same time, it's it's frustrating because there is no safety net for them. And I'm not saying there should be, but I do feel sometimes like, especially in the US, it's the wild, wild west, because there isn't a lot of laws around this for whether it's e-commerce companies or consumer fintech companies that are offering debit cards and balance transfers and bank accounts Mm -hmm. and all of those things. There just aren't a lot of law enforcement resources to go after this either. And there's always questions about jurisdiction or bandwidth and you know, the FBI has got a lot of other things to deal with besides white collar right. crime and yep. secret service can sometimes get involved, but they're really busy right now in an election year. So it's kind of like we're on our own. It does feel that way. It definitely does feel that way. <laughs> it does. But at the same time, I mean, at least we are here, right? And I think it's very fulfilling to know that we're helping people. And I would imagine that's what drives you as well. Definitely. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah, for sure. So is there any recourse to them? I mean, do they ever file police reports? Can they file complaints? I mean, they're not going to get their money back, but is there anything that can be done or that you recommend just to kind of almost feel vindicated or like there's a record of it? Yeah. If there's any money lost ever, I always recommend that they file a police case with their local law enforcement. And then I strongly recommend, not everyone does this, I know this, I strongly recommend that they also report it to Federal Trade Commission, FBI, so FTC.gov, the FBI's IC3.gov. Mm-hmm. If it's a romance scam, 
you know, SCARS is a really good organization. And that's the Society of Citizens Against Romantics. Romance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or that sounds right. Stamp. I'm sorry. Oh, there uh, we go. Yeah, yeah. I just, <laughs> yeah, I just actually joined them to be an advisor Great. for them. And so that's a really good organization that I'm excited to be able to work with. And so they have really great resources, but reporting just in general, report it, report it. It can be scary to do that. I know people are afraid they're going to get in trouble for kind of being complicit in a way with money mule activity or, or whatever the case may be. And then they also are afraid of being judged, which is another thing that I would really like to turn around and to change people's minds about victim blaming in a case like that. You know, those kinds of attitudes are why people are afraid to report in the first place. So that's kind of another cause that I have. I feel well, like I'm talking to heart. myself. No, I feel the right. same way. <laughs> that's scary for everyone. But no, I just, I report, feel exactly yeah. the same way. I mean, there's, it's embarrassing, right? But then when society as a whole judges you for falling for it. Right. Can't blame people to know there's a lot of scams out there that I know very smart people that have fallen for it or they contact me first and say, Hey, is this legit? So especially because we're moving a mile a minute and there's just so much news and information coming in and we have kids, you're teaching your kids at home and then you're trying to work. We all have different circumstances, but I mean, most people aren't just sitting around at home having nothing else to think about. And so these scammers, they take advantage of that and they move quick and they talk fast and they know exactly how to get to. I've often wondered, I know that there's a lot of public, you know, open source public data out there about a lot of consumers, especially in the US, people that live in Europe and other places that have a lot more privacy laws. I am jealous of sometimes a lot, (laughs) a lot, because this kind of thing wouldn't happen as often because Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have the data and the information as freely. But I know that there's a lot of things that they can pull, you know, everything from the political party that they donate to, to what causes they donate to, to what pages they follow on Facebook and all these other things to kind of already do their homework and and know what to say. I told you yesterday, I think I told the story on the previous podcast that I was on, but my grandmother was victim of the social security administration scam before she passed away. And they must have known her political affiliation because they played right to illegal immigrants and said that they were using her social security number. And because of you know, the TV channel she watched, she really believed that could have happened. And so I think they're doing their homework and they're also doing that emotional intelligence. I'm guessing, yeah. but it sure feels like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, any kind of social media, you know, if you're oversharing information, that's a goldmine for them. If you're talking about where you work and you're talking about if you're out of work, I mean, one of the things that I definitely warn people against is posting out there if you're out of work or if you've just lost a spouse and know that it's kind of hard because you kind of want that support from like your social network, but that can make you a target, especially for a romance scammer. Time and time again, I have seen this happen where someone has lost a spouse And within months, they're sending money to someone who has specifically targeted them, especially if you're advanced in your years. Usually there's large sums of money involved there. You know, there's an insurance payout or there's inheritance of some sort. Scammers know that and they are salivating for it. Wow. That's really good advice. I hadn't thought of that before. I mean, Mm -hmm. sort of, but not that specifically. I definitely recommend to people that when 
the social media outlet allows it to lock it all down and make it private. Or you can select who you share things with within your group if you really want to share. And there was a time in my life where I really wanted to share and now I'm kind of over it. But other than LinkedIn, (laughs) obviously, but (laughs) that's a little different kind of sharing. This happened years ago, but when I think Discover Card was the first bank to up their security questions from just mother's maiden name and, and birth date to be things like first name of pet or, you know, what was your first pet's name or what was the name of your elementary school or things like that. And right around the same time, that was when those quizzes were really popular on MySpace oh, and Facebook. Yeah. And oh, there were yeah. several variations. Yeah. But there yeah. were several variations of those Discover Card questions looped into surveys. Mm-hmm. And I was just watching people fill them out and sending them all over the place. And you're like, no, as well as yeah. you know, what yeah. apps can access your <laughs> Facebook. I mean, there's just so many routes we could go down, but why anyone wants that information? I don't know. I never used to really read those, but to some people it's interesting, but I'm like, no, they have access to your credit. Well, cause a lot of banks followed suit with similar questions. So yep. yeah, very very similar. I do have to say, and I would imagine you're similar that there is a level of respect sometimes like, wow, you guys are really good. It's just, it's absolutely horrible. Yeah. They're impressive in the worst way possible, right? Oh, that's so well said. hundred percent. That's that's exactly how I feel about it. It's interesting and it's intriguing, but it's also disgusting all at the same time. It is. It really is. I totally understand. You're like, wow. But then again, oh, wow, like you kind of have mixed emotions. (laughs) So, you know, kind of back to your day job a little bit, what has been the most effective technology or process that you've implemented in your organization that's reduced fraud against your members? So surprisingly enough, it was not modifying any of our algorithms for our fraud monitoring system. It wasn't anything like that. It was training. It was just basic sharing of information, getting our frontline folks, not just the retail folks, but also the people working in the the contact center, watching and listening for red flags, red flag behaviors, strange deposits, strange withdrawals, even our accounting department. They do such a great job watching for this kind of stuff. I mean, it really is like a united front that we have created. And I'm impressed every day at the things that those folks are catching. And I'm so proud of them. They do such a great job. And I'm just really happy to be able to be a part of that and to be at least some form of inspiration for that just by sharing the information. But what we've put in place is we make ourselves a resource for them. We don't treat employees who are calling asking for help or to report anything like we don't have the time to talk to them. It's really important to do that to make yourself a resource if you work in a fraud department and giving them feedback. If there is something that does get missed, not wagging a finger at it and saying, oh, you screwed up. It's more a method of, okay, this is what went wrong here. These are the red flags that we've identified. Let's learn from this and make sure we implement something so that it doesn't happen again. And we've seen such a great return on that. And we're not really investing any more money. I mean, we're not adding any more programs. You know, it's just been really amazing to see the product of that effort and continues to be. So, and you implemented that, right? Yep. That was something I'd always wondered if those kind of things could make a difference. And luckily, I started working for an organization. We've got great people in leadership of all levels. And, you know, it's very collaborative. 
And that is not always the case. I can tell you, you know, from firsthand experience and also, again, other fraud professionals that I know, you said siloed, you know, siloed. That is something that often happens. And I would challenge that. I would definitely challenge that for other financial organizations and other organizations in general. If you've got frontline folks who can help stop some of that, get them trained, get them educated, you will be surprised at what happens when you just give them that education and then give them kudos when they catch something. That's another thing that we do. We make sure that their manager understands what a great job that they've done. And again, I get really excited and I geek out about it because I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like they're doing something that I talked to them about. So yeah, pretty awesome. Well, and it's such a service to your members too. It's like all the way through, right? Yeah. I mean, it does. It has a trickle down effect. Definitely. Definitely. Well, how many times do people say, well, my bank didn't say anything like they expect, they don't care what level somebody's at, you know, and I think that that's true for banks. That's true for e-commerce companies. That's true for fintech. That's true for everyone, financial institutions, whatever. Mm -hmm. When they're talking to someone who's representing the company, they're expecting them to know everything. And if they didn't give them a heads up or say, Hey, you know, if you're purchasing this or whatever it is, they wouldn't be purchasing gift cards on the phone, but still whatever they're doing, and calling for, you can usually tell. And that's something, I mean, everyone's probably sick of me talking about refunding fraud at this point, but I am going to keep talking about it. And you should. Like, you have to do something about record. it. You it have to do like it. But I mean, when it comes to that, I've had retailers tell me, well, we don't want to train the front line because some of them have said that they hear, you know, the scammer or the refunder on a script. And the customer service person knows it's wrong. They know that they're requesting a refund for something that they received, but they don't have the autonomy to to do anything about it. They don't even have a way to report it at the flagpole. That's unfortunate. Yeah. That's a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake. It's missed opportunity for the customer, for the employee who's working there, for the company as a whole. I mean, that is such a huge mistake. Well, in this case, Um, it's costing the company a lot of money. But I've heard they don't trust their customer service. They think that they would say too much or they wouldn't know what to do or there's too much turnover or, you know, whatever it is. And I understand the business reasons. However, I have seen it work. And I'm similar to you that Mm -hmm. I am always like, I have a hypothesis. And so when I'm able to test it, let's do it. And nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, those have been right. You know, we understand where the disconnect is or, or where the open gaping hole is. And sometimes it can be challenging as a consultant because you can tell a client where that is, but they don't want to do it. But (laughs) at least you can try. Maybe that's happened recently and I'm a little frustrated. (laughs) But it's not not an ego thing. It's not like, oh, I wish they'd listen to me. It's just like, no, I want the best for you. And if I'm working on this, I want to be able to, you know, be proud of it and really see my expertise and my efforts reflected back but I'm so glad that you're able to see that. And it's so good to hear that that's in the number one thing that has helped your fraud go down. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. And it's been really exciting to watch those numbers go down, to track those numbers every month and to watch it go down and down and down and to be able to report monthly or quarterly or annually that we are continuing to see this go down as we see a sharp increase of this fraud. That's such a powerful thing. I'm very proud of my team and my organization as a whole for non-board with this. And I'll say it again, it's such a huge mistake. 
not to get your front lines involved in fraud mitigation. They're the ones who can help you catch the most of it. You're already paying them. You're not having to invest in anything else. You're using a resource that is already available to you. Preach it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's great when it's not coming from me. I'm like, yes, then I don't sound like a broken record as often. As far as, you know, bringing it back to 2020, which is just the year of craziness, do you feel like there are more scams because there are more opportunities or because there are more consumers that are more susceptible to it? Or do you think it's also because of government programs? I mean, is it just a cornucopia of things or is there a couple root causes? I think it's a perfect storm. And I think that's what a lot of us in this industry were saying back in March. There's a perfect storm brewing. Buckle up. Batten down the hatches. We're going for a ride. This is going to be a crazy year. (laughs) And even bracing for that, I am shocked at some of the things that I have seen. But I mean, I think that it is a combination of we're more isolated now than we ever have Mm. been. We're more vulnerable now. So many people have lost jobs or in fear of losing their jobs. And we're more acceptable than we've ever been in the history of mankind. That is a really bad combination when you've got a pandemic going on. And I think that scammers, they're resourceful. I'll give it to them. They're resourceful. Again, I am impressed in the worst way possible of how they have been able to leverage this pandemic to get so much money out of so many people. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. Unprecedented. Unprecedented is the word that I keep right. using over and over. And I feel like that doesn't do it justice no. anymore. Because <laughs> we use we that word so much for, for lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> the whole year is unprecedented. Everything happening. Is, yeah. yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. It's almost like it's used uh, like the, the meaning is worn out at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, so on that note, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm curious to know, like, what's the most creative scam you've heard of or like worst scam story? I mean, I feel like we all love those, but I forgot to like suggest that you have one ready, but I feel like most of us do have like one or two that just like comes to our head, but I feel like that would be, you know, a good way to almost close this out. (laughs) Well, uh, oh my gosh, there's so many of them, but I mean, I'll tell you it's just something in general that is never, ever fun for me or anyone else who does what I do is if you've got a situation where you've got joint owners on an account who are married or cohabitating in some way, and someone has fallen for some kind of a romance scam, and it can get really dramatic really quickly. And so just kind of navigating that situation without getting involved with people's personal business can be very tricky. So that is probably one of the things that kind of sticks out for me. I don't have any specific examples from recently. Yeah, no, but I think Um, we can all guess. Yeah, if you're married and then you find out that your spouse or partner was in a, at least an emotional, probably most likely an emotional affair, probably not seeing each other, but still in some ways, a lot of people feel like that's worse. And not only that, but then they've also lost your money. Oh, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. Well, when you have to lock down an account, like if an account number is Mm. compromised, when you have to lock that out, at some point, you're going to end up talking to the significant other. And that's very uncomfortable. And what I always do and what I always recommend other people do is just say, you know what, talk to so-and-so, they have more information for you. But that can get real dicey. And I have been called names. I mean, I tell you what, it's a very uncomfortable. (laughs) I can only imagine. I mean, 
When I worked for a very large online travel agency, there were some similar situations where that would happen where you'd have to call and be like, was your card stolen? Was it used at, you know, used here? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Well, I did actually did card fraud for four years. And oh, so wow. I, I yeah. had similar conversations just like that. I know, uh, or like dating website transactions. Yep. Do you remember Ashley? Madden? I knew you were going to say that. Yep. That was, I was working in card <laughs> fraud during that. And yeah, I thought, oh boy, a lot of people who are going to have a bad day today. When happens, oh so. yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they didn't want anyone to know about it. Yeah. I was interviewed recently on the fraud busters podcast. I think I talked about this then, but I don't think I've talked about it on mine as far as there would be a lot of cases where prostitutes or sex workers would steal a credit card and then go make another purchase for the next hotel room on the previous customer's card and getting calls from a wife saying, you know, why was there? It's like, well, I can actually prove that your partner was there for the first hotel. I can't, you know, like, <laughs> but yeah, how much do you say? Oh, yeah, 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 I know. Awkward. It's, <laughs> totally awkward. I know. But it's also like, well, you're just trying to do your job and help people. But it's like, ah. yeah, those are never fun conversations. But they make great stories. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. They do. Yeah. I used to joke that I felt like I was a buzzkill at dinner parties when people would ask me what I did. But sometimes then I would start to like try to have fun stories. But Sometimes it was like people don't like to realize that fraud is everywhere or that it's easy to do. They want to feel that, you know, sense of security. Yeah, it doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) It's not if, but when I joke that that's going to be the title of my book one day. Right. Well, I think pretty much everyone we know at this point has at least been targeted. Yeah. In some way, shape or form. It's probably targeted multiple times. Now, whether or not they clicked on the link or answered the call or whatever the case may be. But that's why I say it's becoming a societal norm. Everyone is affected by it in some way, shape or form. And it's time to start talking about it. It's time to start warning people about it. I absolutely love that about you. And that is why we're kindred spirits and fast friends. (laughs) So you are so amazing. You've given me an evening of your time after work, but I want to wrap it up soon. But I do want to ask you, what are you most proud of in your career? Oh my gosh, where this is hard to talk about. I think you and I talked about this yesterday, but I would definitely have to say what I've been a part of at the organization that I'm working for now just kind of having the opportunity to build up that fraud department from what it was to what it is now, and not just a department, but a program. You know, you can have a fraud department, but to have a fraud program, Mm. you have to have buy-in from several people. And just being a part of that, that's probably the thing that I'm most proud of. I think that's a good thing to be proud of. I mean, if you've listened to previous episodes, there's a lot of people in the fraud sphere that really would envy that. And I don't think it's ever easy for anyone, but I would imagine that when you propose this to everyone, you put your members first and they saw that and they obviously hired you for a reason. And so they trusted you and I'm so glad that they did and that you are able to send out those numbers monthly and quarterly. That's a really fun feeling. Yeah, I do feel really lucky to have the opportunity because I did the same thing for a long time and kind of took a chance on myself just applying for the position. And there were moments of doubt where I was like, what did I just get myself into? Am I up for this task? But I've surprised myself. And I've also been surprised in the best way possible with what has come of it in 
seeing my coworkers, you know, see that light bulb go on and seeing coworkers who didn't really know anything about it before, like be fraud, bust and rock stars. That is like one of the best things is sending those kudos emails and being like, yep, so-and-so caught another one. And thanks for looking out for our members. It really doesn't get any better than that. You're doing this kind of work. So... Well, and we need those silver linings, just like we need hope. We need to celebrate the wins. So I'm so glad that you do that. 100%. Big kudos for you to you to stepping out of your (laughs) comfort zone too. I know that's something we both can (laughs) relate with. Uh Imposter syndrome is real, but I think it's really, you know, you're almost doing a disservice to other people by staying small. And that's something that I've had to learn. And I'm really excited to see where your quest to share this information leads. And I'm totally going to be on the sidelines cheering you on for sure. (laughs) I really appreciate that. You do such a great job of lifting others up and amplifying others' voices. And I can't even tell you how much I appreciate what you do. And I encourage you to keep on, keep it on. Oh, thanks. um, Likewise. Yeah. It's important (laughs) what you have to contribute to this community and fraud fighting as a whole has just been so I don't even know. I don't even know the word for it, but I'm thankful that you do what you do. I'm blushing. Thank you. No, I I really appreciate that. (laughs) For me, it's, you know, I know that a lot of us feel alone, right? Like, especially during the pandemic, but even before that, a lot of times fraud teams are small and there's not a lot of camaraderie or sharing of information, except for maybe at conferences in person, which aren't happening now, but even when they were, it was just a year and you know, some people can go, some people can't. So yeah, it's important to me. If it means me being the mouthpiece, I'll be the mouthpiece. I think that by far, and I know I'm almost positive you agree with me that the two biggest things that we have on our side that will help us are the two things that actually help the fraudsters the most as well. And that's collaboration, working together and educating each other. And they're selling eBooks all the time about how to do this fraud and how to do this scam. And they really work well together. And unfortunately, within financial institutions and e-commerce companies and everything else, there's a lot of privacy rules and PR departments and and all the other things you have to go through. And so however I can help move that forward, I get this a very similar sense of satisfaction and fulfillment when I'm seeing merchants who I introduce to each other and they're having a monthly call because they have the same fraud issues or, you know, the list goes mm-hmm. on and on, but that's where I get my joy. So I sometimes feel selfish for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely necessary. Thank you, Shannon. Well, I just want to thank you so much for spending your evening with me on Zoom and for sharing all this information. I have no doubt that you will have a lot of LinkedIn requests pretty soon. And (laughs) I do recommend that everyone follow Shannon because she's done a really good job at talking about scams and, and posting them almost in real time. I mean, a lot of times if you're waiting to read about them somewhere, it's going to take months. So I definitely get a lot of great information from her and her posts. And I hope you follow her as well. And just like I said, I'm excited to be on the sideline of your journey and help you however I can. And thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.